0: Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language.
1: This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on TAP we have Friday the 13th starring Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, and Kevin Bacon directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. Today we are opening up a brand new film review cast. We, as we prefaced last week, we're calling this one the slasher film starter pack, and this is kind of everything you need if you ever wanted to dive into the subgenre that is the slasher film. And we're going to be covering um, three big ones and. None bigger than the first one up here, uh, Friday the Thirteenth from 1980. A uh, lot to say about it, the production, and then kind of really getting and digging into the the themes and the the tropes that you'll find in this type of subgenre. But new cask means new bottle. Matt, why don't you introduce this one?
0: Uh, this is going to be brand new for both of us. This is a Walcott. I believe this is the Buffalo Trace Distillery uh test drove this the other night when i bought it it's got a little bit more kick than um what we just finished up with the four roses mm-hmm. but um i think it's going to play quite well
1: well while, while you're pouring that um i just want to say thank you to all the listeners um our joker episode was very uh, uh, nicely received um uh, last week which again thank you we do this for you And you know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Podbay, iHeartRadio, a ton of different. So, whatever floats your boat, find it there. But on any of those sites, if you're liking what you're hearing, please rate, give us a review. Uh, We'd greatly appreciate that. And it actually helps other people find the podcast just on a whim, which is how I find a lot of my podcasts.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it drives traffic and the stuff that gets reviewed higher, gets uh, higher placement in the the menu of traffic. So those are gold for us, you guys. We really appreciate them. So keep them,
1: keep them up excellent so cheers to that and then also cheers i found out this morning uh rest in peace to mr robert forrester uh from jackie brown and we were very high on his performance in that film as max cherry and he had died yesterday at the age of 78 so to you mr forrester to you mr forrester and excellent. one more mm-hmm.
0: happy birthday a little late
1: yeah the big three-zero. Huh? 0 for jesse 3-0 <laughs> excellent
0: so, all right let's see what you think Mm. That's not bad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that, ooh, we feel that in like, your nose there at the back end.
1: A little bit. I don't think. I don't think it's as harsh as maybe you were making it out to. Yeah, I, no. I think that's a nice. That's a nice finish and start, and um, smoky taste to it. Right. Very almost woodsy. How aptly we're going to Camp Crystal Lake today. Usually I don't get to that, but do you almost taste that little of that vanilla in there?
0: Mm-hmm. Can you taste that? vanilla? A little bit,
1: yeah. I wonder if that's the like the the type of barrels that they uh, distill this in. Like, kind of that flavors are really escaping into this into this drink here, which I don't say that about a lot of the the bourbons we drink, but you can really kind of taste that almost charry taste to it. That's, yeah. It sounds weird to say, but it doesn't detract from it and make it a bad drink. Like that's that's a real nice. Easy flowing bourbon.
0: You know, it's interesting when I was looking at the different <clears> selections up there. They do give a kind of a flavor listing on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, what I saw quite a bit of which I don't know if I'm on board with. May have to try it.
1: Mint. Really? really? Hints of mint? Huh. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I. Um, but mint. Do you like a mint julep? I do. But yeah. So maybe.
0: Maybe it's the season two. Mint doesn't play well right now. Or yeah. uh, I guess peppermint is sort of a holiday. I don't know. Mint, mint and bourbon to me is weird.
1: We should have mint juleps one day. We'll probably have to review like sea biscuit or something when we do that. Great Gatsby. <laughs> oh, <No, good> God, God. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get right into it. A fun flight question today. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks, just looking at the decades and kind of what stood out to us and kind of been favorites for us. So we're in the 80s today, Matt. So. What are your top three favorite films from the 80s? We'll let you start with number three. Horror genre, correct? Yes, horror. Uh,
0: number three for me is The Lost Boys.
1: Ooh, excellent.
0: I like vampires. Yeah. Um, I think that was a really noble attempt at an ensemble piece. Uh-huh. Uh, I loved Jamie Gertz back then, mm-hmm. so I have a proclivity to her as well.
1: So off subject, but do you know, like, she's married to someone, I think he's a billionaire. So, like, when you stack up, like, actors and, like, mm-hmm. how much, like, like, money they have... It's like Oprah Winfrey's number one. Jamie Gertz is number two. Like, wow. is that fascinating? Like, that, that marriage, like, shot her all the way. And I can't remember what the guy's name is or who he is, but that kind of blew me away.
0: For me, the promise of Jamie Gertz and Phoebe Cates was never realized. Sure.
1: Oh, yeah. That's very perfectly said. Uh,
0: you know, I, th- I think the last thing I ever saw Phoebe Cates in might have been Gremlins, too. Mm. And anyway, that's a whole other subject, I guess, for another day. But I really enjoy that movie. I don't really think it's terribly scary. Yeah. Uh, today. I sure really liked it as a kid. And I had some time, it's probably a few months ago, just Friday night. And I thought I'd rewatch it. And it was still, still really, fun. really enjoyable. The yeah. Frog
1: Brothers. Yeah, and, yeah. The, the Corys, mm-hmm. the
0: Edward Herman, I think. Is <laughs> yes. that his name? The guy that it plays is. It is. <laughs> it's just really, really enjoyable. Kiefer Sutherland's really good in that film. It yeah. just was everything hair and long dangly yeah. left ear piercing earrings 80 style set in california. Awesome. This totally works for me. I
1: love it. Okay, number 3 for you. A uh, great decade for vampires too. I'll kind of mention that here in a little bit, but number 3 for me. This is weird because I thought back and I was like I think I've mentioned every film in this franchise on these on this list. So this must say something to what I really think of this series. Um it's Evil Dead 2 from 1987, I believe. This is my favorite film in the franchise, and it's essentially a soft remake of the first one with money this time, but still not a lot of money. It's funny. It's scary. Bruce Campbell turns in. This is when he became the Ash that everyone, this cult film hero. It's always been my favorite. I've Again, I found it on VHS, Hollywood Video. Brought it home for like a, a sleepover night and it was just, it was it was awesome. I loved it. And I, I still love it. So funny because Army of Darkness was on my 90s list. The Evil Dead remake was in my 2010s list. I mentioned in the How Whore Found Us, the one shot, uh, that the first Evil Dead was one that kind of like really opened my eyes to horror. Interesting that the whole franchise has kind of made it.
0: I'm going to give you a side question right now. For as monumental mm-hmm. As Halloween is to you in the horror genre. Yeah. Per series. Yeah. Is Evil Dead the most monumental
1: series for Ooh, you in horror? Maybe. Might be, huh? I've never like thought of it. Because like, Halloween one's great and 2 like all right. Mostly okay. But then everything after that is just like, good God. Uh, but for Evil Dead as a series, like I feel like each entry is solid in its own way and kind of like pushing into different genres. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I might have to say yes on that one. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Number two? Number two. Fright Night. Talked about it last week. Just mm-hmm. talked about it right now yeah. with, with vampires. Uh, can I tell you a funny story about yes. this? Yes, yes. So Fright Night was a movie that I wasn't supposed to see. So we, my mom was at work one summer and my babysitter had been left some money by my mom to take us to the theater that was day. this the
1: same babysitter let you watch the thriller video? <laughs> no, that, no, no, yeah. but
0: okay. babysitters and horror, they all have the same fatality rate, which sure. is 100%. Yeah. Um, so we made it to the theater, and we missed whatever showing we were going to see. Mm-hmm. So then she took us to go see Fright Night. Oh, boy. And we came home, and I was, I was fairly young. Yeah. And I told my mom that she had s- taken us to see Fright Night. Yeah. My mom canned her. <laughs> she fired her yeah. over Fright Night. Over Fright Night. <laughs> so again... It created, it sort of furthered the, um, you know, clandestine and sort of unapproved by the moral fabric in the Dixon household back then of what was acceptable. Yeah. But despite all that, I really, really like the
1: movie. I love it. I think it's actually probably my favorite vampire film. Yeah. Um, Jerry Dandridge, Chris Sarandon is just so interesting as the lead vampire. And then the characters around him. um I can't remember it's the, the, the the character's name. I I watched this a couple weeks ago, Did actually. You? Yeah, yeah. Look at William Ragsdale. Yep, that's yeah. Uh, between Amanda Burse and then Evil Ed, and then you got Peter Vincent in there by Roddy McDowell. Oh, it's Charlie Brewster. There you go. I'm good. Okay. Uh, what a great cast in that, and it's fun. It's very 80s. Again, like the nightclub scene. It's like. He's wearing the Michael Douglas sweater from Basic Instinct in that one. Like, <laughs> it's just something that it's got a cool vibe to it. Jay Giles' band did the Fright Night song mm-hmm. in the end credits, which mm-hmm. is impossible to find standalone. Good luck with that, but love it. I love Fright Night. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Number two for me, um, you know me, I do ties. <laughs> it's what I do. But, um, so you're going to give me two at number two? I'm giving you two at two. And mm-hmm. it was really hard for me to really. Uh, separate this but you know me i like dario argento for the most part and this was kind of i almost want to feel his like kind of last hurrah 1982 tenebrae this is a film um about you know an author who's um got this killer out there who's he's replicating the crimes in one of his books and shoving the pages into the victim's mouths so he's like a suspect because this is a weird coincidence but it, it fits into that giallo uh, genre that we're going to talk about in a little bit with the gloved killer. It's bloody. The The score by Goblin is legendary. I've always loved Tenebrae. But then number two is probably the real number two. It's an American werewolf in London. My favorite werewolf film. But again, I must like, like comedy in my horror because, again, it's very funny. But I think also very terrifying, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's nothing funny about the transformation scene. It looks... Truly painful. Uh, Rick Baker again, but from from Thriller. <laughs> so right, and John Landis, like I think, really in control of that film, like off of Animal House and the Blues Brothers. So yeah, I love American Werewolf in London. It's a great movie
0: mm-hmm. for what me is a really troubled film, iconic character, which is the werewolf. Yeah, it's really hard to do that well. And if you listen to the previous podcast, I've kind of laid that out. So I don't mm-hmm. want to get into it now. Yeah, what can you say? I about think they that
1: handle film? it really well. And that the, they do. S- the scene that's always stuck out to me is where they're in the porno theater, mm-hmm. and he's talking to Jack, who's just like a skeleton at this point, And he's like, "Here's all your victims. Here's your your night of bloodlust." And you're like, "Yeah, what you did was like really. We thought it was really mean." And they're like all, "It's a weird conversation for corpses to have." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're in this porno theater, which is ridiculous. This film within a film is it was shot by Landis is also ridiculous. So. Love it. Number two for me. Number one for me. Okay. So
0: this is going to sort of toe the line of maybe other genre, Mm -hmm. but still classified in horror. This probably isn't going to surprise you when I tell you. Okay. Nightmare 3.
1: Dream Warriors.
0: I think for me, this is similar to what Aliens is for you. And I think in the context of the horror franchise, they're similar. Yeah. It's kind of an action horror movie. Yeah. And at this point, the market had been pretty well saturated with the mass serial killer. I think Penhead had even showed up by the time. Um, I
1: think this is 87, if I'm remembering it So correctly. we're getting yeah. rather late into mm-hmm. the slasher genre. Mm-hmm.
0: And it was the first time that we'd actually seen the unwitting teens sort of try to take it back at... The know, Boogeyman. The yeah. Boogeyman. I mm-hmm. uh, just really liked that movie. Um, I kind of was into docking at the time for a little bit. <laughs> Whatever, right? <laughs> no, that's good. I Things. love I love that song. Yeah, so that's... Isn't that weird? That's number one for me in the decade for horror. And here's what's interesting. Yeah. As we've mentioned, a lot of these movies that so far we've discussed, I know what your number one is going to be. Yeah. Um, but um, they aren't the traditional scare the shit out of you kind of horror. No, no, no. Yeah. We're sort of playing with a really important part in the 80s, which I think is... Action, yeah. It's interesting. Do you agree? Like the mm-hmm. '80s were a great action decade. Oh, of course, yeah. So it bled into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there we have my three.
1: That's interesting too, because the one of the writers who had a hand in putting that together was your friend, Mr. Frank Darabont. Yep. Like, had a had a hand in that, sc- along with Wes Craven and a few others. You know, bringing Heather Langenkamp back, and no, I, you know who's in that movie too is. Mr. Ghost Story Dingus Man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, what is that cat's name? I don't know. (laughs) Isn't he like the the dad? No, he's like like the lead psychiatrist in the hospital. He's like doing the experiments on them.
0: That movie is referenced on a time from Jesse and I in this podcast.
1: (laughs) If you guys have never seen Ghost Story, aside from the first
0: recollection of full frontal male nudity that I've ever seen in film. In the opening scene. I would recommend for you all to see that movie. The last 15 minutes of that movie are well worth...
1: Mm -hmm. The rise up to that film. Craig Wasson is the guy. There you name. go. There You're you go. good. Man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting today. it, but then I'm remembering it. Man, Jesse, is that a sign of 30? To you. These <laughs> yeah, It's surely not a sign of my age. Okay. I'll give it to you. Well, you just said you knew my number one. What is it, man? It's the thing. Of course. Mm-hmm. 1982. Again, a film that was just a total bomb when it came out because it came out like the week after ET and no one wanted any part of it. But. And that's weird too, because those are both made by Universal. You thought you'd like spread your films out. Kind of stupid. Very stupid.
0: Especially considering the time. Yeah,
1: that's not a summer release. Yeah, that's a September October release for the thing. Early October, right? Yeah. No, it's what what hasn't been said about. It. I think it's a film that's actually grown in reputation in the last twenty years, as kind of looking back as something pretty special. And you know, Kurt Russell's performance, the Robo teens' creature effects, the the, the top tension. In an isolated environment, which we tend to like in horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just legendary and the ambiguous ending. Uh, I, I I have a, a lot of fun with this one. It's another one of those ones like The Descent last or a couple weeks ago I mentioned. Uh, I always recommend it to people that haven't seen it because I think you're going to be thoroughly surprised and enjoy your time watching it.
0: I think also with this movie, that's mm-hmm. horror. Yeah. Monster horror. But there's an element of as Kurt Russell... Kind of the action hero in that movie yep. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and like if you don't believe it, watch the flamethrower scene with the dog. Yes. That's right out of an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting period of what was selling in theaters and how all of the studios were trying to interweave that genre into everything that they can. Mm-hmm. I never did. Well, I was gonna say you could see action like an action romance. Well, you we even talked we got that with true romance, but that's the wrong
1: decade. Yeah, but you even we even talked about that with the Terminator is yeah. very horror like, but it's a science fiction action yeah. piece too. Yeah. it's an interesting observation. I'll we'll have to really kind of pay attention to that in some of those films of that decade. But are you ready, Matt? Do you have your your sleeping bag ready to go to Camp Crystal Lake? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, excellent. Here's happy hour time and a review breakdown of Friday the Thirteenth. Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake, circa 1958, and we're introduced to a poor slate of camp counselors singing Jesus tunes. Like, I always felt thought this was really weird, and I laughed to myself. I'll be laughing at a lot of things in this film, but they're just like talking about. Ride the river of Jordan. Hallelujah. And then they, they go and they're going to go have sex. You know what I mean? Isn't that such a contradiction? You know what I mean? The Catholic way, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we're immediately introduced to one of the very famous film tropes in a slasher film, which is the first person POV. Yep. And in this film, it's a while before we kind of find out like who it is versus some of the other ones where we kind of get it right away. But we're immediately introduced to this kind of voyeuristic element from an antagonist. And as soon as you go into that mode, you know it's up to no good. You know what I mean? Right. It's the shark from Jaws. It's that point of view where we're just like, we're the eyes of the killer on the stock of these kids. As we follow this figure up the stairs to these these two teens that are just disposed of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's almost like disemboweled. And then like we don't see what happens to her because we freeze frame i heard to the credits <laughs> right. but this is kind of the beginning uh, opening scene like what do, what do you think of this matt for setting up uh this type of of genre
0: i think the one thing that was really different about this film for me compared to the latter iterations of this film mm-hmm. is what's not shown initially sure i think part of the slasher horror genre is very unique ways To kill these people and how bloody you can get with it. Yeah. This movie, to me, is rather tame on the scale of of blood and violence. Mm -hmm. So, okay, that's not really an answer to your question, but it's getting there. Mm -hmm. I think what we're starting to develop is how important, and this is not this podcast. Yeah. This is coming. Mm -hmm. This is not... Um, the Halloween podcast, but how landmark that opening scene in Halloween is mm-hmm. and how we are taking
1: or paying homage to that through yeah.
0: copycatting.
1: Sure. I, I'm glad that you said that because that's actually what the director has gone on record to state. So Sean S. Cunningham actually has ties to Last House on the Left. He like teamed up with Craven to do that. And I can't even really tell you any other really films he's made, but saw halloween was like well we should just do that we'll just kind of like rip it off and because it's so easy to do there's a formula to it Um, sex yeah and then
0: just the slaughter yeah of the not innocent anymore Mm -hmm. uh yeah it works
1: yeah so what he came up with was uh a kind of really ingenious way he hired victor miller to write this screen uh, screenplay, which was originally titled uh, Long Night at Camp Blood. Mm. Friday the 13th is just so much better because it's, like, again, tied to this unlucky holiday. So he actually took out an ad in Variety, uh, just a one-page of, like, the, the words busting through, like, a pane of glass mm. to kind of see what traction he could get and also to see, has this name been taken, like, already? And they were kind of clear on both fronts, and it kind of started generating some buzz of, like... Ooh, what is, th- what is this thing? Again, like a title like being enough to kind of really let you know, oh, of course that's a scary movie type right. of thing. Yeah, like right. You, you see Halloween, you're like, yeah, that's a scary movie. Yeah. Black Christmas, things like that.
0: Victor Miller's career is a bit interesting, too, because it's outside of Friday the 13th that really doesn't go anywhere, yeah, does it? Yeah, exactly. I and mean, he be kind of becomes the guy for the series. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, there's two other movies on here that one called Rock Paper Dead and Manny's Orphans
1: that I've never even heard. of. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I haven't seen those. Yeah, but it's all it's all very interesting. So maybe I, before we kind of get too much into that, I kind of want to put class into session right now and kind of talk a little bit about this subgenre of horror. Which this would be fun to do for like ghosts and werewolves one day when we talk about those films. But it's the it's the knife pitcher's turn. So. You can actually probably trace the legacy of slasher films. And I could argue, and it's never talked about, but I remember writing a paper about this to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And Conrad Veed is this real creepy, lingular guy, but he stalks after this woman in there with a sharp uh, phallic object. And yeah. it's it's very reminiscent of how these films would operate. But you really wouldn't see anything like that because the Universal Monsters dominated that time from the 30s and 40s. Until 1960, and we actually got two in that time span, Psycho and Peeping Tom. Well, so, and if you want to push it, we could go to Franju and Eyes Without a Face, too, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah. yeah, that's kind of around this time as well. But then it was the Italians that really started uh, experimenting with this with the what they called their slasher films, giallos. So... In Italy, there's, like, these little yellow pulp magazines. Giallo in Italian means yellow. And that's the name they got for these yellow pulp-like magazines, which were all about these, like, detective yarns about a gloved masked killer who is killing women and this and that. And so Mario Bava, like, really mm. blood and black lace, Bay of Blood. Black Christmas. Uh, no, um, no, no, that's what
0: I'm saying. Yeah, you said. Um, yeah, blood and black lace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, black Absolution.
1: Yep. Yep. So they start experimenting and then Argento gets on board with this now. And so his early work before he gets very supernatural with like Suspiria is uh, the bird with the crystal plumage and cat of nine tails. And it's this, the formulas watch one of those films and it's, it's just it always this glove black gloved killer, like just killing and like, and it's this really this perversion of the sex is what they really tapped into. So let's kind of scoot up a couple more years. 1974 black Christmas was the, real first film that really introduced a lot of these tropes that i'm going to mention here and i think halloween took that idea and just totally like made a good film with it is the thing and then this film i believe found a way to monetize that idea and totally showed everyone yeah you can make this for dirt cheap with a very kind of ridiculous story with not great acting and as long as you have the blood and guts and the tna factor You can turn in a decent profit at the box office. Mm -hmm. This was 1980 to 84 in a nutshell. (laughs) If you go up to,
0: and even Halloween probably is included in this, Mm -hmm. theatrical release. I think most of those guys that you mentioned, if not all of them, Knew that when they were making this movie, there was very little chance it was going to make money. Yeah. And therefore, it had to be done very, very cheaply. Mm -hmm. And I think that really slowed the genre Mm -hmm. as far as production value. What it didn't do is though it didn't slow the creativity and the way to show it. And so what you get in that period from Toby Hooper to Wes Craven, Mm -hmm. we can go on and on, to Carpenter um, is... A class of young, and I don't want to say visionary because people are, you know, listening in their cars or whoever rolling their (laughs) eyes, like really, we're calling these guys, but in a sense, that's actually what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Because to do this on the shoestring budget that they were given, yeah, knowing that if it went over sixty thousand dollars, it probably wasn't going to make money because you're going to be in two screens, yep, man, you almost had to find in a way. A singular, not quite singular, but almost singular, cheap location to do it. Yeah, which gets to mm-hmm. the house in Halloween mm-hmm. and Camp Crystal Lake specifically mm-hmm. in
1: Friday the Thirteenth. Because yeah. guess what? We're here the whole time.
0: We've got all the set pieces we need. Yep, right here.
1: Yeah. So let's kind of list some of the tropes that you'll expect to find in this genre. So a final girl, which has yeah. come to be known synonymous with the last girl standing. Sometimes it could be final boy. That doesn't really work out too well. But they're the most pure of the group, almost virginal-like in their appearances and morality. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting in this film, and I'm going to talk about that a little later, adults and authority figures are usually mostly useless. Mm-hmm. They can't be counted on. They're late. Everyone's usually dead by the time they show up. They don't believe the kids. Yeah, exactly a group of friends usually filled with token members of explicit nature so you have your your sex pot ones you got you know the slutty ones you got the stoner group the jock
0: the weirdo the breakfast club of fodder
1: and the one that's always my favorite is actually the jerker asshole member yep. in this film it's ned, ned. yeah mm-hmm. but it's always the one who's like always got like a quip or a, a little joke to tell and they're, they're all dying they're, they're all dying yeah uh masked killer um and the a masking element is usually the who done it aspect of the film you're kind of building up towards well who is under the mask is it someone that we've seen and this which is different about like a film like halloween and nightmare on elm street which is we know who the killer is right from the get-go so that's a different type of uh idea there opening scene sets events into action so either a dark secret a past trauma or a prank gone wrong in this one, it's gonna be a while before we find out what 1958 means to the general idea of Friday the 13th, but that kind of sets up this kind of path of of rage that someone is on uh, in that opening bit. Get ready for multiple red herrings. Matt, in this film, I, may, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but when you kind of look back at it, is it supposed to be Crazy Ralph? Is it Steve Christie? Is it uh, that weirdo truck driver? Uh, Is it one of the... Is it Ned? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we're setting up who it could be. First person POV. uh, A reactionary fantasy. So, a lot of times, like, the actions of these teens, whether it's smoking dope, having sex, is usually what dooms them in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wild party scenes. Elaborate death scenes, which is something I think this film did, as opposed to Halloween. Mm -hmm. Halloween's a fairly bloodless film. And I think once... You know, you get Tom Savini involved and he does some pretty cool makeup effects that we'll talk about. I think that became a changer too. Everyone's deaths had to be more bloody and gruesome as we get along. Yeah. Um, take place around a significant time or a holiday. We're on Friday the 13th here. Uh, again, the setting. You mentioned the setting. Singular location. Is it a campground? Is it a school? S- school, a college, a suburban street, uh, anything like that. Yeah. And then the last one I have, and there's others. But a final jump scare or an ambiguous ending setting up an inevitable sequel or just utter mystery like Black Christmas, you know what I mean? Nice job, dude. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what you're going to find. That's that's the template that Cunningham probably saw and was like, oh, yeah, well we'll just do that and we'll just set it out of camp. That's kind of an easy writing job when you really break it down because the characters don't have to be, for the most part, overly developed because they're going to meet their maker in, like, 15 minutes, so... It makes the process of making the film a little bit easier, maybe a little thinner on like, well, this ain't like The Godfather, but like it's a different type of film. To me, there's
0: one thing that has had Mm -hmm. the biggest negative effect on the horror genre in today's society by miles compared to everything else. You know what that is? Mm -hmm. Cell phones. Yeah. Because the ability to communicate takes so many teeth out of the mouth of the killer or the crisis at hand. Mm -hmm. Just call I mean, if you go back and watch the X-Files, their best weapons weren't guns, it was their damn cell phone. <laughs> yeah. So I think what the camp does is it allows you maybe one or two phones because you're already isolated. And once you cut the line, then there's no communication and you become even more isolated. Yeah. Cell phones in today's horror genre mm-hmm. really become quite challenging, and how do you get around that? Exactly. So And I think it's kind of unfortunate in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so now then that sort of delves into serial killers through social media sites and some of those, you know, unfriended or whatever you might have. Yeah. This movie gives a really good reason why that many teens would be in a singular location and be so isolated. Short of the sheriff driving by to just check on you kids and see how it's going, (laughs) you really don't. And then he's not going to be worth a damn anyway in this genre. Yeah.
1: You really are on your own. Yeah.
0: And here's. There's very limited resources. Yeah. You've got maybe a canoe. Mm-hmm. You've got whatever's in your cabin, which is mostly nothing. Yeah. There's really nowhere to hide. Yeah. Um, other than the woods, and then you're out in open, and that's sort of in the cave of the bear. Yeah. Um, it
1: just sets up really well for. Yeah. It's uh, the the playground for the killer. Oh, good. It's not an easy out, as we've talked about. You can't rely on the phone to get you out of danger. Yeah. I want to mention something before we move on here there's a great friday the 13th game out i think for playstation maybe xbox you play as either a role of a camp counselor or jason if you're jason you got to slaughter the counselors if you're a counselor you have to find a way to escape you either got to repair the car find the phone tube to repair the the phone to call for police all while evading jason and the maps in there are rep there's a perfect replication of camp crystal lake from this film as a map to play on, which is awesome. But you you get the thing, like you said, you get, you can't call. you got to fix the phone first. Then you have to survive for like two minutes before the cops show up. Then you have to run to where the cops are. All while you're just getting like, it's impossible to survive sometimes. Mm. So play it if you haven't. If you're a fan of this franchise, I highly recommend playing that game. It's a lot of fun. Sounds fun. Yeah. So let's introduce some of our, uh, our fodder here that we have. So we have... Annie, who's going to be the, the chef cook of this, who's hitchhiking on her in her way to find Camp Crystal Lake. And we immediately get it from the townies, don't we, Matt? We get this, oh, you're going up to Camp Crystal Lake, huh? I thought that thing was closed down. I can't believe they're opening it up. It's already got this aura of urban legend to it based on our opening little bit.
0: That place has a death curse. Oh,
1: Crazy Ralph.
0: Crazy Ralph
1: hey. is another one we're going to meet here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Walt Gorney
0: is that guy's mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of that... You know, street corner televangelist forecasting <laughs> the doom of society because God's just had it, you know, mm-hmm. repent and revelations and that guy. But in a Camp Crystal Lake sort of way. Um, <laughs> I for- It's been a while since I've seen this. OK, movie. OK. I'd forgotten all about that Annie part. And I just had to just I was kind of laughing like, <clears throat> man, even if the serial killer doesn't get this chick. Yeah. She couldn't be any more reckless in yeah. the abandonment of her own safety. Hey,
1: truck driver, you mind giving me a lift up this road? He puts her into the rig like he like grabs her a ass. ass. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know. You noticed that too. Yeah, and
1: then you're just sitting there, and the the conversation's already weird. And we find out about like the water went bad, and there was a couple fires, and Christy and his whole family are going to end up bankrupt. And so he 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 can't take her all the way. He like leaves her still in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then she gets picked up by the ambiguous killer, and it's weird, too. When she leaps out of the truck, she, like, does, like, a head dive into the—I don't know. Her survival instincts are, like, out of one.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, getting into two—like, this is the era of hitchhiking, too, where it was kind of maybe a little okay. Like, nowadays, like, you don't even know. I'll call an Uber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, social yeah. media and it's
0: de- the demise of horror through social media technology. I kind
1: of like what you said though, because that makes the writing of it now a little more challenging. I think maybe that's why you know the conjuring flourishes so well because we can go back to the '70s right. where you eliminate those outs.
0: You think about period horror piece,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's pretty much what it is now.
1: Yeah. What would you do, Matt, if your mobile phone killed you? Uh, Getting Sam Marshall, <laughs> yeah.
0: such a great line.
1: Yeah. So then we're introduced weirdly to, again, like, I'm um, just, so my observations are just bonkers at this point. Like, Kentucky Bluegrass music to Ned, Jack, and uh, Marcy. Uh, Jack, you might recognize him, Mr. Kevin Bacon. Is this his first appearance in film? No, because he had done Animal House a few years oh, prior, right. yeah, yeah. but this is like close. Right before he does Footloose and explodes. But, and he's also one that doesn't like acknowledge his presence in this film either, which. You know Jamie Lee Curtis has come to embrace Halloween, and like a lot of like some of those other like uh, scream queens and whatever are like, yeah, I was in that. That gave me my start. Kevin Bacon like will not talk about this film, which is weird. Like, okay, Captain Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, you won't take any umbrage to throw a nod to Friday the Thirteenth, but your next film is Footloose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we just want to dance, man. Whatever. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. Um, they all have that, don't they? Mm-hmm. Every one of them has, oh my God, look, it's Johnny
1: Depp. So-and-so, yeah. Or it's, it's George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Or it's fun. It's Jennifer Aniston. It's What was that, Leprechaun? <laughs> That's Troll. Or yeah. yeah. Maybe it is Leprechaun. Yeah, it's that. funny how a lot of these... The, 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 because it's an easy in. If they're making them so cheap, they don't need name actors. And that's another interesting thing. Usually Hollywood's built upon, well, we got to have a star in there to sell the film. In horror, the concept sells it. Right. And especially slasher is such date night material. Especially slasher, because you know what ends up being the star of the film Yeah, is whatever
0: mask you've bastardized to use mm-hmm. as the way you cover the serial killer. Mm-hmm. That's the star. Mm-hmm. Like, you. It's called Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or Hellraiser or yeah we go on and on and on right mm-hmm. and they're like you just said they're just fodder yeah because what we're gonna really <clears throat> celebrate is the in various ways <laughs> that the killer is gonna do in these people mm-hmm. how creative can we be in their executions.
1: Yeah. So let's introduce the rest. We have Steve Christie, who's in his jorts of making, uh, trying to push a stump over. He's kind of creepy, too. And oh, then he yeah. rolls up on who's going to be our final girl, Alice, Alice. played by Adrienne King. Um, in a weird way, a weird scene of like, you're like, did I look?
0: I, lo-? I want to go home. Yeah. Give me one more
1: week. Yeah. Like, so there's something weird going on there. But then like, he, she's almost kind of down, isn't she? Yeah. Like. We're kind of depressed, but we're not like really told. It's a real odd scene, and then we have uh, Brenda and Bill, who kind of round out the rest of our crew. So Bill is Harry. His name's Harry Crosby. He's actually the son of Bean Crosby. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. so interesting. So we this is our cast of characters. That their goal. So this is the funny thing about Friday the Thirteenth. I think a lot of people associate it as a camp movie, and. I don't think we actually see kids go to the camp and then like have massacre until part six they're trying to open it up here they're opening up a nearby camp in part two Uh, part three is a cabin part four is uh tommy jarvis they're never like it's always like these wayward homes or whatever so that always cracks me up with the franchise so they're just trying to get it ready to be presentable at this (laughs) point yeah
0: the problems of entrepreneurship yep yeah
1: you're not to care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse.
0: One of the interesting deaths in this movie is Annie's to me. Mm-hmm. Annie's the girl that we just mentioned that's trying to catch a ride from whatever townie she can get one. Yeah. She's certainly the biggest ingenue of any of these characters, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But she's the first one to bite it. Yeah. She's going to go up, and her job at the camp, we find later, is going to be the cook. Yeah. She's never even going to make it to the camp. Mm -hmm. Being that she's the innocent and she has ties into what we're going to discover later is who the killer, not to give anything away, I guess. Mm -hmm. I almost kind of wish that she would be the final survivor. And Mm -hmm. again, this is, Mm -hmm. we are just now figuring out what the genre is going to be. So they're allowed to have a misstep here and there, of course. Yeah. But the fact that Alice is the sole survivor, it almost flies in the face of some of the rules that become legacy, like you just mentioned, with the incident with with Mr. Christie. So when we first meet Alec, Mr. Christie's cut in the wood. Kevin Bacon and crew show up. And then here comes Alice around the corner. And after a couple minutes, she kind of tells him, like, I'm just ready to go home. I don't really like it here. And he says, just give it till Friday. This place is going to grow on you. And then he gets that weird bit where he kind of, like, tucks her hair behind her ear and tells her... You're really pretty. And she's kind of like, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, which certainly not a stop sign. Not to get all Me Too-y or whatever. No, it's... There we- is no Me Too in the slasher genre, by the way. <laughs> no,
1: there's not. The women are treated like very much fodder. But
0: don't you almost get to a certain point? Like, maybe she's a little bit interested in what Mr. Christie might offer.
1: And it's hard, too, because as much as I like Alice as, as a character, for the most part, she doesn't fit the... Stereotypical final girl model too, because later they're playing strip monopoly, smoking dope, and like it, she doesn't fit that kind of most pure version of these characters. It it probably is Annie. She's so wholesome and she's nice. so
0: wholesome. She doesn't even know when the truck driver abuses <laughs> yeah. her on the
1: ass that that's not acceptable.
0: She's like, hey buddy, thanks for the lift. It's just my booty. Oh, it's all good. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. You know what? I mean... No, you're right. So she's met a quick death, a nice, you know, slit across the throat. Again... In the forest. Yeah. Where this kind of excels, you know, where this genre hadn't was really showing us the deaths. And this is Tom Savini. He had just come off of Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And so his gore effects are just like, they're just so grotesque for their times. Like the stuff he was coming up with. Honestly, the best one coming up here is actually Kevin Bacon's demise with the arrow pushed through the throat. And there's like this little spout of blood that like kind of just like shoots out like <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. gross yeah but very
0: effective. You like that one more than the archery range?
1: You don't see anything in the archery ranges. Are you alluding to that? Or yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because no, that- I think
0: that that could be really good. Like I want that's what's missing in this film for me. In one thing, yeah, is going back and seeing her.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that whole part's kind of a, a bit of I think of a misstep, but let's kind of get to it. We'll get so the you know Christie's going, he's going to the town for supplies. They have to get ready, so they naturally they're gonna screw around, they go swimming. Again, you know, observation, astute observation number two, when Ned's drowning, Kevin Bacon and Brenda go in to save him. Kevin Bacon apparently doesn't know how to dive into water and just totally racks his nuts on the water. Oh like,
0: my god. Yes. Like belly
1: flop. I'm like, dude, Kevin, like you gotta Tuck, like man. You gotta t- 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 or like jump higher. <laughs> yeah. So when you watch it next time, you now you can look for ass touching and ball racking. <laughs> There might be a few more coming up, too. Indeed. But so we're alluding to um, the killers looking at them from the woods. Again, that first person POV. We're establishing the roles. Ned's the the dick screwing around. The cop comes in. He's totally useless. He's looking for Crazy Ralph. So we're like, hmm, maybe maybe Crazy Ralph's the one kind of, you know, on the loose here. And they find him in the pantry. (laughs) Yeah, and he kind of just
0: portends more demise coming and then pedals away and they're kind of like oh it's just crazy ralph you're right
1: the only thing he's missing is that like picket sign that says the end is nigh (laughs) right it's coming yeah um he he does have purpose in the film though i think he does do
0: exactly Mm -hmm. what to me this movie is although this is a slasher yeah to me this is a lot of whodunit Mm -hmm. it almost is a weird in a weird way whodunit Mm -hmm. and i don't think we really see that again until we get to scream yeah um a few, so, a few
1: of the smaller slashers will, okay. will will play around with that idea, but not one of these like big heavies. The ones. A lot of them, we it's Chucky, it's the little doll, or it's um, it's Michael Myers, it's Freddy Krueger, it's Pinhead, it's yeah. the you know the big bads. You're right. Not until Scream is do we kind of is it like a is it Henry Winkler is it so and so type of a thing.
0: I think that works out well because then you're sort of intrigued figuring out well. It might be one of these teens. And my initial thought, going Mm -hmm. way back to the first time I saw it, was it's Ned. Okay. Because you see him and the relationship that Jack has with uh, With Marcy. Yeah. He's clearly jealous, a third wheel way a third wheel yeah. and then like kind of a jackass third wheel on top of it mm-hmm. while well, you've set it up perfectly for him to want to take revenge yeah
1: we've also set him up perfectly to die too because well. he, he
0: dies <laughs> in the very next scene so go ahead and take it this is actually kind of when I was a dumbass why did you go hey look there's a weird person in that boathouse i'm gonna go see who it is
1: yeah no it was weird but it kind of gave me the creeps too when i was watching it last night because like you kind of kind of see the face of the killer and then she uh, she like turns and goes into the cabin he's like hello it kind of gave me the wheelies a little bit, and then equally creepy. So Jack and Marcy get in there, not before Kevin's Bacon's great, greatest line in the film, where the storm comes. He's like, "That that storm's gonna tear down that valley like a son of a gun."
0: <laughs> Easy there, Kevin. Watch the language, buddy. <laughs>
1: yeah, watch watch that script line.
0: Family friendly movie here.
1: So they come in, they 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 do the dirty, but oh no! But above them is like Ned, like all like cut up and cut up and dead, which is very creepy. Yeah. So if we want to talk about outs again, another thing that's great about this camp location in this film is this storm that comes in, because it's just torrential downpour for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So they can't like really like drive anywhere or go anywhere because they're just stuck inside. So it's just a matter of who splits up and just gets totally screwed. Right. Which it's Kevin Bacon first, arrow through the neck. Again, great. Like doesn't like the, the blood start like dripping on his forehead? Mm-hmm. And then the hand. So okay, so Matt, you gotta you gotta run with me here. So Ned's up dead in the bed. They're doing it in the bed. Is Mrs. Voorhees just like laying underneath them the entire time?
0: Yes. And I think that parallels the scene to start off the film. Sure. Which is when she's watching those two camp counselors get it on. Mm -hmm. And we come to find out later that that's where she really has an axe to grind with these kids. Is while her son was drowning, they were off in the corner fucking. Yeah. And that's why my son is dead. Mm -hmm.
1: So... I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Which adds another layer of creepiness to her. Really creepy. It's an invasion of like a private moment that's being invaded by a corpse and a killer. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like that. Mm -hmm. You don't think about it because you don't see it, but. It's almost like a double voyeur. Yeah, double voyeur. Yeah, exactly. The the heebie heebie jeebies there. Then Marcy's going to the bathroom. She meets her demise. She takes an axe to the face. Again, another great like makeup effect. Like this. That's one thing that uh if we had to stack up the different franchises like on like a battle playing ground, I honestly think Fry the Thirteenth in all its entirety has some of the the best death scenes like in in this series. We got Arrow Neck, we got X Face, you know, some some creative kind of stuff that we really hadn't seen in these films before. They're certainly taking the envelope
0: and pushing it compared mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. any of the prior Black Christmas is a little edgy. Yeah. But um, taking what Halloween did and then elevating it to the next level, yeah. and that becomes the trope. One yeah. of them is like, "What's the next cool way to kill somebody?" Yeah,
1: exactly. They kept having to one up like the the next one. Like, oh, did you see one of the best deaths in this franchise is actually in part five, and um, Jason um, Jason takes uh, this belt and ties it around this guy's mm-hmm. head on this tree stump and then ties it oh, with yeah. this like stick. It just, like, squeezes his head. It's so gruesome. But that's where we had to get to from here to that. Well, to that.
0: <laughs> the landmark creative death sequences that this sets up mm-hmm. is the entire premise of torture porn, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that's the whole Saw franchise. It is, just What yeah. kind of crazy way are we going to
1: do these what people? What crazy in? contraption can we put them into? Yeah, yeah, this is definitely a precursor to, like, all of that. Sure. So, in the separate cabin, we have Alice, um, Bill, and uh, Brenda playing Strip Monopoly, which is this... Okay, if you didn't hate your friends enough already, you pull out Monopoly so you can all fight together. It's already a difficult game. But no, now you got to strip your clothing off now while you, like, go bankrupt. (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, (laughs) with Monopoly, what I always think of in
0: that scene is, man, they're going to be naked for a long time. Because when you get into Monopoly... I've, there's been many four or five hour Monopoly games that I've played Yes, and you go, there's only so many clothes that you can pay rent with Exactly. so then like once you've gone bankrupt and you're naked yeah let's, what's next exactly I don't have anything to pay with I mean like <laughs> what you, put your balls on the table yeah, what are you gonna do yeah
1: with? exactly so but the <laughs> storm saves them I guess because it blows the door open Brenda's like oh shit my room I need my got my stuff everywhere yeah. so again we're separating the victims out like they're they're leaving you know safe in a group and, yeah, that she just – again, I think a scene that I like, think misses the boat, I think this archery range. And we set up – she's set up this archery range. Naturally, she would die here. But we don't see it. We just see yep. a flash of light and then we just kind of cut. And I'm like ah. – I'm like, and the film has been graphic enough with the other deaths. For whatever reason, they didn't want to show us that one.
0: Well, the way that they – stop her in front of the target yeah. and the lights come on. It's, who's there? Yeah. And she moves right in front of the bullseye. Mm-hmm. It's clear that that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't finish Maybe
1: it. Maybe they did. And oh, So here's something that else that happens in this genre, which, again, trying to have these gory, bloody deaths. These films were the notorious enemy of the MPAA, the motion picture. So they were always getting these X ratings because these deaths were too realistic and too gruesome looking. So maybe, Matt, maybe that ended up on the cutting room floor in order to get this down to an R rating because, as you know, you can't roll into a theater with an X.
0: Right. Yeah. And there's no question that they weren't setting that up for her to be done in in that regard. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, maybe. Well, let's just still go on the path, too, because the next one's Bill, Mr. Bean Crosby's son. Yeah. And they're together, but then they split up so he can go work on the power generator yeah. And he's met a demise by Arrows, too. Again, we don't see it. We just see him, you know, strung up on the door. But, yeah, the, the film has decided to kind of, I guess, move things along and not show us these. But then now we're going to spend quite a bit of time with Alice kind of just running around uh, the camp. But let's talk a little bit about the element we haven't mentioned, which is the music. just mm-hmm. you say the music's fairly psycho Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sharp strings. Yeah. That, like, um, e- e- Yeah, Yeah. For sure. And it kind of an interesting moniker that they added to, and everyone knows this. It's the k- 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 so what. What it's actually, it's a derivative of Killer Mommy. So kill kill kill, ma ma ma. Really? So yeah, he repeated that in this like verbophone into the soundtrack, and then it, that kind of echoes it out over the over the sound. So man, you hear that in every one of these movies now. That's mm-hmm. like the the little moniker for it. Hmm. Uh. So we're left with Alice and. She just kind of t- – this is the part, Matt, that really drives me crazy in this film because I want to say this is like the last 30 minutes of the movie. is just her kind of there and then she finds Bill dead, goes in, uh, uh, buries herself, like burrows herself in the cabin uh, trying to hide. But then the- there's flashing lights. Brenda comes through the window. She has to undo what she just did. It's like 10 minutes. Like, it's like, it's it's kind of, it, it wears on you a little bit. I agree completely. Watching
0: yeah. her make whatever she's making from the pantry and her little drink as mm-hmm. she uncovers one after another after another. Mm-hmm. Just come on and get on with it already. Yeah. It does, though, get a little bit better because the rescue vehicle shows up, right?
1: I'll let you introduce this. Okay, so
0: the Jeep pulls up outside and she doesn't know that that Jeep has been the harbinger of demise, but... Mm-hmm. This is a chance for her to get the hell out of here. Yeah. So all the work that she's done to barricade her in this, I guess, kitchen. Is it a kitchen? Yeah. Boathouse, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. She undoes. She goes out. And then she runs into Pamela Voorhees. Mm-hmm. And Pamela Voorhees says, I used to be the cook here once upon a time. Which mm-hmm. gets back to the Annie thing that I brought up earlier. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Thank God you hear here. They're all dead. Alice is in hysterics. Mm-hmm. And Pamela offers some solace and says, "Well, let's go see." And we get into back in. Now we're back into the boathouse, out of the rain. And Pamela Voorhees is going to bear all of her sins.
1: Can I ask you the first time you saw this, or you know, just I think it's just one thing with this franchise. We associate Friday the Thirteenth with Jason, Jason, the hockey mask killer. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that. You don't even really get that in this first one. Mm-hmm. This is a different way in. When we get the reveal of uh, Mrs. Voorhees, Betsy Palmer, who didn't want to do this film. By the way, she thought it was going to be absolute garbage. And who was Betsy Palmer to say no it, to anything? I know she was like a soap opera actress, she but can't break. but at least she didn't go to Kevin Bacon. She fully embraced the okay. Mrs. Voorhees role in in later years. Mm-hmm. But did this kind of shock you a little bit that this was our our killer? Like I think maybe we were expecting like a manly figure. Especially the, the boots and the hands we see uh, when she's stalking Annie. And earlier, I'm, I'm expecting a man or one of the counselors. Initially, yes. Yeah.
0: You know, I saw this, maybe I was 10. Yeah. So, initially, yes. Upon this viewing, here's though maybe a
1: jumping off point for me a little bit. I know what you're going to say because it's, it, it's worrisome for me as well. There's
0: no way that this woman can take down any of these nubile, oh, okay. amorous, young people. Yeah. like. She just doesn't have the fortitude to be the embodiment of these kills. Now, I know some of them are snuck up and okay. Yeah. But when they're fighting and and, uh, Miss Voorhees and Alice are going to have some fisticuffs a bit. Yeah. She kind of gets owned pretty easy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I just sort of think like with Bill or uh, Jack or any of the other ones, even Mr. Christie. Oh, yeah, it'd be easy. Man, I just I don't know if she represents too much of an obstacle insofar as we could just overpower her. That's, that's not where you were going.
1: No, I think that's fair. No, like, where I'm going is this, other than the stories and the opening bit of, like, the shit that's happened at Camp Crystal Lake, the figure of Mrs. Voorhees has, hasn't been set up until this very oh, well, scene. Oh, there's that too. Yeah. It, it just comes out of nowhere. Um, It's like, Matt, do you remember Scooby Doo, Where Are You? And you'd go through the whole episode, and there's a few like this. And they'd unmask the person, and be like, "Who the hell is that?" Like, they, I haven't seen them in this episode. That's how this is. Like, right. I, I feel kind of cheated that I didn't like have like. I'm guessing this whole time, and then the who done it is like, well, shit. Like, would it be
0: better if it was all
1: um, crazy Ralph? Would it be better if it was crazy Ralph? That could have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Anyway, I, I think the the sins of that horror, of the setup, and then kind of like you're eventually give birth to. One of the great film villains. So, like, I'm I'm not giving it a pass. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I guess what comes after this is better. It's just that, like, interesting yeah. execution, like the way they decide to go about this. Again, we're still
0: trying to figure out exactly what this genre is going to be. And we haven't identified who the stars are. The numbers from Halloween are still rather slow to come back. And that's not a financial success at the box office upon initial release either. Mm-hmm. So, Hollywood hasn't figured out the guy in the mask is the way to go. Mm-hmm. So I do give them a nod of credit for giving me something that is completely unknown as who the killer is because we've never met her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's, of course it's unknown. Mm-hmm. But I just have a real hard time with any of those people, uh, short of the ones that were just taken completely unknowingly yeah. and murdered. Yeah. Any of them having a hard time getting... F- fighting back, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. just... And that ended up being, in the last 20 minutes,
1: upon this viewing, for me, a real issue. Because <laughs> it is. Because the next 20 minutes is a fist of cuffs and a chase through the various stages of Camp Crystal Lake. And then, like you said, that she was the cook. And we find out that her son died and the... You never paid any attention to him. She just starts slapping Alice around and like, Alice hits her with the fire poker. Keep then, going. Yeah. Why do you stop? Keep going. And then she hits her with the gun later. Keep and, going. Yeah. And She doesn't stop. And then back to the, the...
0: Do you notice that scene when she hits her with the gun too? Yeah. Just where he looks sort of like, how dare you? That really hurt. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. I think she might have actually caught her a little bit. Yeah. If you get a chance, go yeah. back and watch that. Because her reaction is not acting like... Oh, bitch! You actually hit me with the gun. Like, yeah. there's something different about that particular moment.
1: Maybe there's a little revenge because Betsy Palmer actually, in one of the takes or whatever, actually slapped the Adrian King around. And oh, yeah. The director was like, Betsy, you know, you, you, you can't do that. Like, we 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 miss. Like, you can't hit the actors. So, Have you ever seen Rocky? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe that was a little revenge on Adrian King's part. We're like, you know what, you bitch, you slapped me last, so I'm going to really get you. Because she
0: hits her and she kind of looks at her like, hey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's pretty good. But then we hightail it back to the, the cabin, into the pantry, and then she hits 40s again with the, with the frying pan. Don't stop. Like, keep going. Yeah. It's not until we're out at the boat on the shoreline where we get the final. Now it's just like girl on girl, like wrestling now like smashing her face into the dirt and all mm. all this nonsense. Alice is just like screw it now. Your head's coming off. <laughs> off. Loft up, loft up, Mrs. Vorey's said Again, another pretty great effect um, here in 1980. Like this is, this is pretty good.
0: I'm going to go back to what I said earlier with Annie. Okay. And so your frustrations with, you know, well, Old Man Withers was never set up in Scooby-Doo so how the hell do we even know who Old Man Withers is? Mm-hmm. In this particular movie if annie survives and gets to the kitchen mm-hmm. then at least we can watch her set up the kitchen and there can be a a couple moments in there where we get hey that's kind of a weird thing that boy that almost looks like a liver that's cooked in this frying pan or you yeah, know, i mean like something yeah be- and they just again they don't know what they're quite doing yet so yeah it's again I think- a, a bit cheap to kind of sour mash this out and I, I i recognize that yeah but i just annie would have been such a a more that's interesting though important because
1: I've never thought of that and now that you've kind of mentioned that and kind of thinking of how her character is set up at the beginning, it makes a lot of sense. Like it, it really does. Mm-hmm. But we're going more for shock versus versus substance in this in this film. Like mm-hmm. But again, yeah, they're chasing each other for like twenty minutes off with the head and then, you know, it looks like it's the end of the day. And this is this is the scene that works very well for me, yes. even to this day. Yes. So she's out adrift there on the on the canoe and it's they're playing like whatever like horrific like Christopher Cross cover band they could have found in the early eighties to like uh, play some song.
0: Say, <laughs> yeah. gets me away. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they get that guy. And they're playing some, like, really melodic, like, euphoric, heavenly music, and the cops are there, and she's looking like, oh, but I'm going to be saved. The we ca- just need
0: some sepia tones, and it'd be perfect. Oh, right? it,
1: it would be. <laughs> but the camera does a nice, slow pull-in where you're just like, yeah, this is great. Like,
0: I'm going to leave the
1: theater. Like, like yeah. this, uh, this scared me. It was gross. I had a good time. And then, like, oh, shit. Like... <laughs> Grotesque, drowned out. Jason just totally leaps out and pulls her in. This is a jump scare that I think still works very well today.
0: Lake zombie Jason shows
1: up. Yeah. And pulls her in. And Mm -hmm. I guess the cops fish her out. Yeah. Or that was a dream. Or
0: it was a dream. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, I don't know, like, what we're we're aiming for because she's in the hospital in the next bit. But this is definitely the carry moment. Again, like, cutting Mm -hmm. camera at the... They're not unapologetic of where this film came from. They're like, we saw Carrie. That had a great jump moment. We need to have that in our film.
0: They were right.
1: But, Matt, is it kind of maybe safe to argue that if that scene isn't in there, do we get – maybe we get this franchise, but maybe not in the way that it looks.
0: I'm so glad you asked me that. Yeah. That moment – okay, for everything that Michael Myers at the end of Halloween is, that moment in <clears throat> this scene Is the mo that particular moment, Mm -hmm. Jason out of the water to get Annie? Yeah, I'm sorry, Alice. Yeah, is the most important moment in the entirety of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise Mm -hmm. because my God, how long has he been underwater? Because he's decrepit. Yeah, so he's already gone through rot, and if if he's living in the water, yeah, he seems to be almost immortal. Mm -hmm. So, and then we get the birth of what's going to be. Of the three, you know, big ones, Jason, Michael, and and mm-hmm. uh, Freddie, yeah, the most brooding or hulkish of the three, the most
1: indestructible of the three, <laughs> right? Is
0: that is that a fair? No, way to... I, I think so. That's the most important point in this entire franchise, and I will take that to my grave. No, that's that's great. so. I guess to answer your question is, yeah, did you ask me what does it does it work or would it go? To, yeah, it would definitely go a different route. Yeah, they absolutely slayed that moment. Whether they just lucked into it, yeah, or they knew better, I'm not sure, but they. Cut lightning a bottle one way or another. And I think
1: the fact that it worked and it got people, I think people, were or the producer, Victor Miller and Cunningham, were like, we need to use that That. character or that in some iteration going forward. Because we've killed Mrs. Voorhees in a very human way. Um, Where do we go next? It was the obvious answer. So... Yeah, so we go off and Alice is like, what about the boy, Jason? Like, we didn't find any boy. Did you notice, Matt? I've always noticed this in every viewing in the final shot that, like, the lake does almost like a little, like, ripple in the middle. Almost like, you know, something's down there. I didn't notice Sort of a thing. It's very faint, like. And I think it's just kind of, like, meant to be like a fish or whatever. Hmm. The tranquility of, of the lake. But I always kind of thought of it as, no, something is still kind of out there. You
0: know, um, Victor – or I'm sorry, Sean Cunningham, obviously, with <clears throat> Victor Miller and his mm-hmm. uh, stable of, of people I'm going to go to, has an okay career, I guess. Did you ever see any of the House series from the 1980s? Oh, how not that William Cat? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's – I didn't know there was three or four of those. But a couple of those – I mean, it's kind of a poltergeist ripoff in a sense. Yeah, But – The house wasn't entirely terrible. I guess what I'm getting to is I think both of these guys were able to take Jason about as far as they could take him. Sure. But this moment, this Mm -hmm. one we're talking about here, is really well designed by both of them. And whether that was in script or whether that was, hey, I have an idea, or whether that was a studio, like, make this franchisable. I I don't know. You probably—that tends to be your space more than mine. Yeah. uh, The production stuff. But, man— if Jason doesn't pop out of the water, mm-hmm. not only is this franchise dead or the reiteration of Pamela Voorhees,
1: which, come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and then we lose one of the great film
1: villains of all time. This Do was, we
0: not? Isn't Jason so iconic?
1: Yeah. This is one thing I wanted to ask you because you got to actually grow up with this stuff in the 80s. Maybe not going to see it, but whether it's like the Alice Cooper, he's back, the man behind the mask, like all these songs like him and Freddie and Michael to an extent were such char- characters of the 80s like film characters. It depends on who you ask as far as the
0: hierarchy of who's 1 2 and 3. Yeah. My personal preference mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um they were it was palatable and it it varied depending on what the <clears throat> freshest movie was. Yeah. Looking back on it the early iterations of what Freddy was Compared to like the sniper one-liner guy that he became. Yeah. Um, that's probably where I would tend to lean as number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jason would probably be number three. Yeah. The problem with Michael mm-hmm. is for as as brilliant as Halloween is. Mm-hmm. Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were able to capitalize on him going forward. Uh-uh. Jason was so hulking and so brooding. And what Michael offered was so stoic.
1: I think michael offers menace in the shadows or jason's like in your face with it and freddie became comedic and he's the only one that speaks too so right. he's got that element um God, I don't even know what you – we just got – what did you ask me? Well, just like their their placement in the 80s. Like oh, you would – Everyone loved them. They yeah. were in
0: videos. Like everyone yeah. – yeah, man. They were
1: – Video games, yes.
0: comic, like books, like Halloween costumes. Yeah, they were everywhere. There's a nostalgia piece to them right now, and if you doubt that, go to any spirit store and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. They literally have a section that is for Friday the 13th and Nightmare mm-hmm. and um, Halloween. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like they literally have a section – an homage, like a, an altar of <laughs> it's cool, you know, respect and, and homage to them. Yeah. But in the 1980s, growing up with that, everybody knew who they were. Even if you hadn't seen the movies, they were as as part of the conversation as the day was.
1: You know what it's very reminiscent of? And I don't think Horace had this since that no. time. Like, like since the 2000s. Like, no way. And it was thrown in like Jigsaw and like, that's it. like who else? Like there's not a lot of those big heavies. It's very reminiscent of the 30s and the universal monster craze. Yeah. of Frankenstein, Wolfman and Dracula. Yeah. Like this is that version but of the 80s. The function of 3. I mean, I
0: would even I would <clears throat> even take that and go with Iron Man, Captain America and Thor. I guess yeah, we could do that. Yeah. So the rule of th- But yes, you're absolutely right.
1: But for horror, yeah, it's it's always been these guys. And they they turned those out films One a year. One a a year. Per franchise. (laughs) Yeah,
0: one a year. You had close to probably 30 in that decade. Yeah,
1: Halloween was the one that went through the, and we'll talk about, like, it went through, like, a hiatus in the middle there, and there's a story behind that. But, like, Jason and Freddy were just like, man, it was, like, shot for shot. Like, they're just, like, following each other. And it was like, who's going to slip up first? They kind of all did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, okay, Matt, I think time now more than ever. Let's rate Friday the 13th. We have Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. I'll let you go first.
0: As I say every week, you know, when I get to this rating, <clears throat> Single Barrel to me has an element of uniqueness to it. Yeah. I think what this movie does really, really well is give a plausible reason for that many young people to be at the same location at the same time. Yeah. Like summer employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's gonna set a standard mm-hmm. that becomes tantamount in this franchise. Yeah. Um look it it. It doesn't hold up today because that franchise, the genre, hasn't exactly held up today oh, for no, no, all no. of the reasons that we've mentioned. Yeah. But you can't pick on it for that. Yeah, no, no. Like, and I hate it when people say, well, when you look at it now, well, yeah. all they had was green screen back in 1950. Like, stop it. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs>
1: you spoiled brat. Right. Yeah.
0: So I think it's, it's top shelf in its, am- no, I'm sorry, single barrel and its ambition. Mm-hmm. In its production and staying power, it's probably call minus. I didn't want to turn this movie off. I can tell you, yeah. I've seen way, way worse this year yeah. than this movie is from uh-huh. 1980. And that's almost 40 years ago, bro. Yeah. So um I don't know. I mean that some single barrel call. Yeah. How about
1: that? I'm kinda I'm gonna kinda, kinda do the same thing. Okay. So I, I wrote it just kind of a little bit to kinda of get my ideas on paper. So, I, while well, I don't think the film is necessarily, like, a good film, like I might call, like, Halloween and, and Nightmare. Yeah. I think the plot's thin, the characters are thin, and then the killer coming out of nowhere is kind of... It's a little cheap, but um, it sent the groundwork to how to ma- monetize this uh subgenre. So, a budget of 550000 gross of $60 million, like, yeah, home run, man. Paramount Paramount's going to want you to do that, like, five more times. Right, at least. So... What it did do, and it up the blood factor. Before this, we had Black Christmas, Halloween, and I had to look at the When's date. When's Prom Night? Prom Night's like two months after this. Okay. Um, so it was in production at the same time. Terror so Train? Kind of around uh, the next year. Okay. 81's the golden year for this fans of this genre. That's My Bloody Valentine, The Burning, Friday 2, Halloween 2. Like, it was on fire. High school <clears throat> horror high? Horror high. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: To to everybody out there, yeah. We know the director of Horror High intimately. Yeah, like he's a huge part of <laughs> this whole process. <laughs>
1: yeah. Larry, to Larry, let's raise it to Larry. To Larry and Horror High and Horror High, excellent. But prior to those films and and Prom Night for that matter, like they're fairly bloodless films. The deaths aren't elaborate. They're fairly forgettable. Um, but this one was like, man, I remember the Kevin Bacon arrow bit like that's legendary. Mrs. Voorhees losing her head like that gets talked about all the time, so um, and it helped like what we just mentioned the emergence of this Jason Voorhees character, which would become uh, just a staple of this of this subgenre. So. I'm going to actually go with a rating of call. I'm like right in the middle of where a rating can be. It's not reinventing the wheel. Instead, the wheel uh, was stolen and put on a Hyundai. Uh, so a fairly economical model. But it's still drivable. Okay, well said. So, that's genius. Yeah, okay. Good for you. I had to write that down. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of what it is to me. It's not going to blow you away, but it's. I think it's a very important film for what it sets up going forward. Both yeah. for the slasher genre and for the franchise. We've seen some bad moms before. Mm-hmm. I think Pamela Voorhees
0: is a really bad mom. And what what this movie does is for everything that 2 through 10. Is there 10 iterations of Jason?
1: Jason X is 10. Um, Freddy versus Jason would be 11. Okay. and then Yeah,
0: 11-10. Yeah, 11-ish somewhere. Yeah. <clears throat> to start off with her and then get it to him... I think that's kind of a cool arc, even though she's only in it for one movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's noble that as we're laying the groundwork for this entire genre that's going to spin off other genres, Mm -hmm. that they chose to go with a female antagonist and sort of the failures of mom's parenting abilities and revenge to ultimately... Birth mm-hmm. Jason. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just film theory, you know, edubabble babble that I'm smart because I say that or think oh, yeah. I'm smart. <laughs> or if that's what the plan was. Yeah. But that's in fact what happens. She does birth Jason. Yeah, exactly. And isn't that sort of the function at a very primal state yeah. of mom? Oh yeah. Because she's not mom if there's no birthing. So with that, yeah.
1: Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. That's the perfect segue, Matt. So we're going to end this episode with a little nightcap. And, you know, yeah, looking at Pamela Voorhees and, well, her intentions in her own fucked up head were probably like, well, I got to get them back for killing my son. Uh... It's still pretty horrific. So she's a pretty bad on-screen mom. So, Matt, there's been a lot in film history. Um, who do you think's the worst on screen mother?
0: Hmm. Man, <laughs>
1: there's a lot of bad
0: moms we've seen out there. Mm-hmm. Um I go back and forth on some of the honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Let, <clears throat> Mrs. Bates is in there. Mm-hmm. I could give you another version of Carrie. Okay. Which I have to tell you. Yeah. Margaret White for Piper Laurie and my own ad, ad, admiration of her mm-hmm. for a movie that I don't think I really rated all that highly. Mm-hmm. I think I maybe gave it call. I you don't... mentioned her a lo- many times since. But <laughs> I love Piper Laurie, man. Mm-hmm. Like she's in one of my all time fivers in The Hustler. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I'm purposely not going to name Margaret White because, but obviously she'd be in there. So let me change things up a little bit here. Okay. okay? What if I gave you Angela Lansbury?
1: From the Manchurian? In the Manchurian Ooh, Candidate yeah.
0: as um, <clears throat> Eleanor Shaw. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that film. That's good. And I feel like that film is such a contemporary analysis of politics in the United States in 2019 right now on so many different levels. It's bad enough to brainwash your kid to make him say thank you and please and be polite. But then basically turn him into an assassin so that you can ascend the throne Oh, fuck, man. She is the worst mom for me, hands down. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's one of the best villains of all time. Like, Mrs. Robinson is certainly in the discussion. Yeah. Um, but it's... it's that's Angela good. It's It's John
1: Frankenheimer, right? It is John Frankenheimer. Oh, that's a great film. What? Everybody, please listen to me. I know I yeah. do this to you every week. Yeah. I
0: hope you guys are keeping a list of the stuff. It's Matt's film wreck of the week. This one, you have to watch, not the remake with Denzel. The original *Manchurian Candidate*, and I don't care about the slog, and if you think that it's boring, or like, I promise you, the ending of that movie is worth any moment that you've put into it. And if that's not, then the lake scene is also worth Mm -hmm. the price of admission. Please, Mm. Rye Nation, please, I'm begging you. Yeah, for Jesse's birthday, give him a birthday present. Yeah, go watch *The Manchurian Candidate*. (laughs) I see such a fine (laughs) performance. Give me a birthday
1: present to Jesse. There you go. Right. Awesome. Okay. Sweet. I kind of thought about Norma Bates. And and that's a hard one to pick just because in her actual personification, we don't really see her in the film. We see Norman's visage of her through himself.
0: Did you do Bates Motel?
1: I didn't. (sighs) Okay. Never mind. Okay. Okay. It was... For a couple
0: seasons it was okay and then that really jumped the shark and got into like weed farming and a bunch of other kind of weirdness. (laughs) (laughs) Vera Farmiga is terrific to me. Yeah. And it in some ways it worked but in some ways the most important part of that show was killed off by Norman at the end of season one which Mm. is the teacher that he starts to have an affair with. Yeah. Who I think is like the blue fairy and like the Disney Once Upon a Time series oh really okay but anyway um,
1: okay so okay yeah I thought about Norma but just we just don't see her it's just the idea that like Norman has that he's gone with with his mother I'm going comedy with this one hands down the worst film mother because the shit happens twice I'm going Kate McAllister from Home Alone oh I gotta, <laughs> yeah. Okay, like not only are you, your family's just so big and disorganized. Good, yeah. yeah, you, you. Okay, you leave Kevin at home. Okay, that's that's a that's a disaster. And and uh, I gotta throw some shade at the father John heard too. But at least she makes an effort to come back. with John Candy find a way back home for him on Christmas? And she does it. That's film one. You would think after that experience, you wouldn't let anything like that ever happen again. You would think. Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, you let it happen again. Like, oh, man, Kate McAllister, like, you, you, both you and John Heard, like, I'm calling him bad dad, too. Oh, yeah. But bad parents, like, you had, like, six kids, and you can't, like, tell them apart, and you can't keep track of them, like, and you're leaving them alone on Christmas in the biggest city, one of the biggest cities in the world? <laughs> Good God. You get an F grade. Yeah. What is that? It's Catherine, Catherine O'Hara? Yeah, yeah. It is. Great performance, but, man, you're you're a bad mom. Sorry.
0: Catherine O'Hara at that time really got a couple great roles, doesn't she? Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: that one. Yeah, yeah. she's kind of on a run. And John Hurd, too, like, he's in Chud. I, I made a Chud reference a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah, you did. He's in that one. I like Home Alone. Like, when these, yeah. do, we'll have to do like a holiday kind of film slate. We've got to talk about Home Alone. I love it. I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good choice, man. To Excellent. That.
1: To that. So, Matt, do you want to kind of introduce uh, where the train on, on uh, is coming next week? So we're going to move from
0: the seminal piece in big mainstream slasher horror to the lattice, the latter iteration of those and came across in kind of unventured territory, which was dreams. Mm-hmm. Like the worst thing you can do in a screenplay is say, and it was all a dream it's... as you finish the script. But this literally was all a dream, and mm-hmm. so that would make this then Freddy. 18, 1984, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I'm really looking forward to doing this, mostly because I haven't watched that movie in 15 to 20 years. Okay, I can't wait to sit down and watch I'm it. I'm curious to
1: see if it ages well for you, because I don't know. If, like, again, we don't talk about like the, the effects and everything, but like, I'm with you. I, I dig Dream Warriors, but it'll be interesting to see what what you think of Nightmare on Elm Street and new in new light i watched it about a couple months ago i still i love it i still really love this film and a lot of it's we get a boogeyman for like the first time we get monotone Leatherface, monotone Mm -hmm. michael monotone jason and now we get this villain that's got some sass to him Mm -hmm. he's got a mouth and he's gonna not gonna let he's gonna terrify you by like seducing you in a way like it's, it's bizarre Great cast, John Saxon, Heather Langenkamp, Ronnie Blakely. She won an Oscar, I think, for Nashville. Right. And the first screen appearance of Johnny Depp. I'm I'm excited to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a
0: scene that troubled me so much as a kid, and it's the alley scene when Freddie's arms are so long, they extend from <laughs> side of the alley to side of the alley as the kids are trying to run away. Uh-huh. And I remember being really, really terrified. I can't wait. I'm going to set myself up really late at night, really quiet with all the noises and shit that goes on in the upstairs of my house to try to give myself that factor and scare the crap out of Sweet. myself. Because of all three, Halloween, Nightmare, and, and Friday. This is your favorite. Um just have, yeah, Halloween, Nightmare, and, and, and Friday the 13th. This
1: one was the one that scared me the most awesome. on initial viewing. So we'll see. Excellent. Well, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I'm not going to go open up a camp because that actually seems like a poor financial venture with no return <laughs> on investment. I don't want to end up like Steve Christie in multiple ways. So I'm just going to take a chill day today.
0: Hop in a canoe and go for a little travel on the lake. Yeah,
1: hopefully there's no little Jason down there. <laughs> ah. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.
0: Everybody have a good week.
1: We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, and leave us an email at rye smile productions at gmail.com. Friday the 13th is property of Paramount Pictures, Warner Brothers Pictures, and Georgetown Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time,
0: The boy, is he dead too? Who? The boy, Jason! Jason? In the lake, the the one who attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water! Ma'am, we didn't find any boy.